Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. We are delighted that the Lord has brought you here to worship with us today, for we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, and he has called us to this place. And again, I welcome you, whether you are a visitor or whether you've been here all your life, it doesn't matter. Again, it's the Lord that's brought you here. Now, uh, before we begin, we have lots of things going on that I need to make you aware of. First things first, church members especially, if you do not have a bulletin, please do get one right now because in just a moment we're going to start our congregational meeting, then it's going to go into recess, and then it'll conclude after this worship service, but your ballot for deacon is in the bulletin, okay? When we come back, we'll pass out the other ballot uh, when the con congregational meeting actually concludes after the service, so make sure that you have one of those. Um, again, voting is for members, but if you're a visitor, please do feel free to stay. We'd, we'd love to have you for that. Um, now, as far as the bulletin goes, there's lots of things happening, but the big one, okay, big thing that's going on is our annual Thanksgiving dinner and the fact that it is happening in six days. That's right, this coming Saturday. If you have not ordered your meals yet, please do so as soon as possible. In fact, um, Carrie is going to be staying after the service. Where, where are you going to be, Carrie? Just right over, right over here. See Carrie. She can get you signed up. If you don't know today, call Stephanie. We're taking orders throughout the week, okay? In terms of, uh, you know, you can call the office. Just tell her how many plates you want. Also, you can, talk, you can tell her if you're going to be eating in or dining out. This is a hybrid sort of situation this year. You can pick them up or you can stay here and eat. And also, we need volunteers, right? Christy and Carrie can get you plugged in, especially teenagers. And several of you are here today, and we very much need your help so that we can serve everybody. Trevor, you feel like reliving your high school days? Maybe? All right. Well, we'll see. Trevor might be a youth group member again. I'm, I'm just kidding. We won't do that to him. But anyway, no, we do need help. So, so parents especially, too, we do need your help with that. It is our sole fundraiser for the youth group, and we appreciate your support. Now, um, as far as other things that are going on in your bulletin, I'm going to let you find those, but I will point out that you'll see the form in there for the poinsettias, right? We do that every year, um, and, and, and so be aware of that. Also, the ARP magazine, sign-ups are going on. It's a bi-monthly magazine for our denomination. It's good to be in the know, and it's $16.50, which is quite a deal. And I promise you, it's not like Time Life. They won't send you, you know, LPs of Bible songs or anything like that. It's just the magazine, okay? So if you're interested, please see Linda Lou because I think she's heading that up. Now, um, I think it's time for me to call on Finley to get our congregational meeting started. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, Finley, and thank you to all you men who are willing to serve. The Lord has blessed us richly with many men who are willing, and, and that is such a blessing to the church, uh, and I'm grateful for you all. Now, there's one more thing that I want to do before we begin our worship service. Yesterday, of course, was Veterans Day, and one of the things that Old Providence should be very proud of is its large military veteran presence. So if you have served our nation in the military, please stand now so that we may recognize you. Thank you all so much for your service. Now, again, the Lord has called us here to worship him. So let's prepare our hearts as Donna leads us in the prelude. Well, it just so happens that as we make our way through the psalms for our calls to worship that our psalm for today the 47th is rather fitting in light of both it being veterans day yesterday 
but also election day this past week. And it says, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a jubilant cry for the Lord, the most high is awe inspiring. A great king over the whole earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God ascends among shouts of joy, the Lord with sounds of ram's horns. Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our king. Sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom. For God is king of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the peoples have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. And my friends, indeed, he is. We have so many reasons to come together to worship him. And yet, as we look at the world around us and the darkness that seems to prevail, we know that this is just that which seems to be. For our God is sovereign. King Jesus reigns on high, just waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. And he has called us to be his people. And so now, let us praise him together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll confess the Apostles' Creed together. But let's go to him. Our God and our Father, we are so grateful that you are who you are, and that we are who we are, your people, the sheep of your pasture. Indeed, you reign on high, and you are our Father who loves us. As evidence of that, we are here, right now, in this place. Not a single person by accident. You have worked all things, every single thing, up to this moment. This moment where you have given us the opportunity to stop. To put aside the things of the world. To step out of that grind that we are a part of that causes us to put our heads down and and before too long, it'll be 2024, and you called us out of that. Instead of focusing on the temporal things, you have called us to focus on you. And by your Holy Spirit, you have brought us here. So please now guide us by your Spirit, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, and really think about this. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Excuse me while I got a frog in my throat up here now. Let's stand together. Take your hymnals or use the words on the screen, of course, as we sing in our hymnals number 131. Come, Christians, join to sing and let us sing those praises. Hymn 131. And you may be seated, but children, join me down front over here. Uh-oh, we may not fit. I don't, everybody shift over this way, over here. All righty. Come on over. There we go. I think we have room. Uh-oh, Sydney, let me grab these hymnals. Yeah, let me grab those right there. There we go. Let me set this. Hmm. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. That was good. That was like a 60% job. We're going to work it up to 100% excited this morning, right? Yes, that's a good headshot. Good to see y'all this morning. Has everybody had a good week? Yes. That is good to know. Now, I want to talk about something important this morning. 
We've been talking about pretty important things lately, haven't we? We've been talking about how to let our light shine for Jesus, right? By, by loving Him and loving other people, serving other people. Last week, we talked about Philippians chapter 2, where we are told to have the same attitude. Remember, we talked about attitudes, how it's a small thing that makes a big difference. And how our attitude should be like Jesus' attitude, which was that Jesus was a servant. But this week, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about how to do that, how to be a servant. Now, let's see. It is November the 12th today. Is anybody keeping a countdown till Christmas? I'm not good at that. Are you? How many days is it? I was, and then I lost track of it. And then you lost track. Well, you know, it's busy, you know. Year in taxes are coming up. All kinds of things are happening. But, yes, okay, I had to look it up because I'm not good at math and I always forget how many days are in each month. But there are 43 days till Christmas. Can you guys say 43 days? Now, I was trying to think. I'm like, okay, let me see how well I know. I'm trying to think what you guys probably like most about Christmas. Is, is it the food? How about, like, different parties and things? Is that what you like most? What about shopping and, and traffic and the stuff that adults complain about? I wonder what it could be. Is it presents? No, it's not. Okay, what's your short part? Yeah, well, Sydney's the oddest one. Yeah. Well, I would tell you, when I was your age, it was the presents, okay? It was the gifts, right? Now, we look forward to getting presents. But did you know that God gives you presents too? And he gives you presents to use in loving one another and in loving him and in having that attitude like Jesus and being a servant. But the gifts that God gives, they're not wrapped up like the presents at Christmas time. They're a little bit different. The gifts that God gives us to use for him are spiritual gifts. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, now, there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. And then he says this, a gift of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. And the common good that he's talking about there is for the good of God's people. That's a mouthful, but, but what Jesus is saying there is that God loves you so much that when Jesus saves you, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And with the Holy Spirit in your heart, God helps you to do the things that he calls you to do. And sometimes we get different gifts from one another. Some people are, are gifted in one area and others are gifted in other areas. But the Lord gives us what he gives us with the expectation that we love him and that we love one another. Now... What I want you guys to do is to remember that the Lord has given you gifts to do what he's calling you to do. And each one of us gets called to do different things. Now, sometimes people are called to be missionaries. Sometimes people like me are called to be pastors. Or sometimes people are called to sing in the choir. This morning you might be wondering, that thing that people are handing in, we have things called deacons. And deacons are one of the officers of the church. They're called to serve the church. But the Lord calls us in all sorts of different ways. And he gives us what we need in order to do what he's calling us to do. So what I want you guys to do when you pray is ask the Lord what he wants you to do for his people. What he wants you to do for him. Okay? 
And always remember, the Lord answers questions like that a lot of times in his word. And he shows it by his Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. Our Father, I thank you so much for these children. And I praise you for the calling that you have for their lives. Each one unique, individual. I pray that they would be focused on you. That they would trust in you. That they would find that which you have for them to do. Because we need them to do it. And Father, I pray that you would help the rest of us do these things too. Let us all be faithful as we trust in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, y'all can go. And now as they are being dismissed, let's take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. But let's go to the Lord now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, what a great and marvelous God you are. Truly, there are none beside you. For who else could provide, could encourage? Who else could give such wonderful gifts? Who else ordains and maintains the whole universe but you? And yet, as you are seated on high... You know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. Those things that we need, you know and often provide, and we don't have the good sense to recognize that you do it. Those ways that we need protection, you protect. And Father, you even tell us to come to you with what we want. And as our loving, heavenly Father, again, you provide. Yet, Father, as we consider who you are, we must consider who we are. That instead of recognizing you always as our loving, heaven, loving Heavenly Father, we, we get sidetracked. We get confused. We get bogged down when the weight of the world around us hits. We can become weary, even depressed can lose heart, focusing not on who you are, but focusing on circumstances, and, and we know that circumstances are important, and that's why you tell us to come to you when we're in need, but Father, we, our, our first need, our greatest need, is to be faithful to you, for it is in faithfulness to you that we see your hand at work. It's in faithfulness to you that we realize that strength is not ours, not on our own, but instead that we desperately need you. 
So please forgive us for those times that we have run our own way. Forgive us for those times when we have rejected what you would have us do and substitute instead our wants. And as the psalmist said, renew a right spirit within us and give us grateful hearts, poised for praise and thanksgiving, recognizing it as much as it's possible, for we can't see it all, but, but recognizing what you've done for us and being quick to share that joy with others. For there are none that compare to Christ. And nothing compares to being in your loving, everlasting arms. As we consider some of your gifts, you have been so gracious. This place that we have in the midst of this time where we're going through some changes, we pray that you would give grace and peace and that you would work in all circumstances. And you have thus far, but please continue to do so. As we think about who makes up this church, for we know that the church is not the building, it's the people. I thank you for those men that are willing to serve as deacon, for those that are currently serving, have served, but also, again, for those that are willing. I pray that you would bless them and their families and watch out for them as the evil one seeks to attack us when we take steps of faithfulness. As we think of the, the, the amazing number of veterans that are in our congregation, Father, I thank you for everyone and for their willingness to serve our nation, to lay aside their time, uh, to lay aside their safety often enough in order to serve us. We thank you for them and for our past veterans, such a rich history, all pointing to faithfulness to you. And Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. As I've just said with the children, as we've read from your word, your spirit is active within us, giving us gifts, calling us, and we pray that we would yield, that we would submit, that we would follow your Holy Spirit, and that we would use the gifts that you've given to us, all for the sake of your people. As we encounter obstacles to these things, we pray that you would remove them. If they're physical, we pray that you would bring healing, and we know that we have folks struggling, physically speaking. So bring healing and bring them back to us soon. If they're emotional or spiritual, please bring healing there too. For we are not just physical beings. We hurt. We face trouble. We need renewal, so please give that. We pray that not only for ourselves, we pray it for your church universal. Those brothers and sisters that we are united to so that we would all shine the light of Jesus Christ in our weary world. Let the world see you through us, Father. Let us not miss the opportunities you give, including this very day. I pray these and all things in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we continue this time of worship together, take your green Bible song book and turn with me to Bible song number 205. It's the holiness of God. Again, the words are on the screen, but... Bible Song 205, please stand with me as we sing.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, as we have just lifted up, faithful and holy are you. So faithful. Again, you've provided for us in every way. Now, as we return to you out of that provision, we pray that you would bless the gift and the giver and that it would be used for your kingdom. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
Thank you so much, choir. What a fitting, fitting anthem for today. Jesus paid it all. I don't know if you've thought about that turn of phrase before, and we're going to come back to this concept, but if Jesus paid all of it, that means everything that you owed. And if Jesus paid for it, then that means that you can't. We'll come back to that concept in a little while, but nevertheless, thank you very much, choir. Now, Today, as we continue along in our series in the book of Philippians, and by the way, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. I'll have the words on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there with me. Philippians chapter 3. We're continuing along today, but let me ask you something. Have you ever been in a situation with someone where there's something not so good going on, but they start with the positive first? I'm kind of notorious for this with my family. I'll say, all right, I got... I got good news. Y'all have maybe heard this before. I've got good news and I got bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? And it might be, I don't know, we'll be on a trip or something. I'm like, all right, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is where we want to go is closed. But the good news is the house of mud is only 300 miles out of the way and we're going. You know, that kind of thing, right? Maybe you've experienced that. Parents are notorious for doing that. Too. I remember when I was a kid, my dad doing that all the time. I hope you understand what I'm talking about because that's kind of what we're dealing with today in Philippians chapter 3 as the Apostle Paul continues his letter to the Philippians. Remember, this is God's word, right? It is breathed out by God. It is part of his holy word, part of the Bible. However, originally it was a letter, right? And God breathed it out as Paul wrote it. It's this mystery of divine transmission, right? But it's God's word, but it is a letter. And so as we read this communication, we gather principles from it, right? That's what we did last week. But as we're continuing on, Paul is kind of doing that here. He starts out with good news, and then he kind of gets to bad news, all right? Now, um, today as we begin chapter 3, I hope you remember what we covered last week because it is important. Last week at the end of Philippians chapter 2, we find Paul writing his plan to the Philippians, right? He's, he's telling them about how he wants to come, how he's immediately sending this guy named Epaphroditus, who's a pastor, and then he wants to send Timothy to them, who is also a pastor, okay? Uh, along with that, Paul talks about Epaphroditus, and he gives them this command to honor those who work for Christ because they lay down their lives for the church, Focusing, as chapter 2 talks about, on the interest of people, the pastor is called to focus on what Christ would have the church do. Why? Because, y'all, this general principle we got to last week, hear me now, what Jesus wants for you is what's best for you. He loves you. When God calls you to be holy as he is holy, this isn't just about following some list. God wants you to be holy because the root of being holy is being whole, being complete. God desires that for you. So what Jesus wants for you is what's best for you. And, and as I talked about also last week, when a pastor does this, it, it, look, calling a pastor, he's not just doing a job. When, when, a when a church calls a pastor, they don't bring him in just to take a job. No, instead they bring him in to live his life for the church. To give his life for the church, so much so that his mind is always on the church and so forth. The ministry, serving as a pastor, being an under-shepherd of the good shepherd, it never stops. Hence that call to honor those who work for Christ. Now, that's important given what we're getting to today. As we come to chapter 3, we, we're seeing the other side of that same coin, right? 
We've seen the workers for Christ who ought to be honored. Last week, again, glowingly, Paul spoke of Timothy and, and Epaphroditus as workers for Christ. But this week, there's good news and there's bad news. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in and see what it is. Father, please be with us now as we come to your word. As we take on this subject that is controversial, that shines a painful light on the reality of at least our corner of the world, Christianity in the United States and what's going on. And Father, we pray that we would see the truth. Be with me as I preach it. By your Holy Spirit, let it take root in our hearts, that it grows up into life. As we talk about the gospel, what it means to know you, I know that the evil one wants to distract, dissuade. We're reminded that, that Satan knows our name but calls us by our sin, and yet you know our sin but call us by our name. So please, call now. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 is where we are picking up today, beginning in verse 1, Philippians 3, 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection among the dead. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, in light of where we were last week and where we come to this week, do you want the good news or the bad news first? Doesn't really matter because Paul gives you the good news first, right? And the good news is right there in verse 1 where he tells the Philippians to rejoice. The bad news is also just as obvious as there in verse 2, hence that title in your bulletin. The sermon title for today is Watch Out. Why? Well, think about what we read. 
those dogs, those evildoers, those false teachers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, why, in, in light of the bad news, you might be wondering, if, why would Paul tell them to rejoice if, if these dogs, false teachers are on the prowl, these evildoers, not trying to, to, to do God's will, but trying to work evil amongst the Philippians? Why rejoice? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Paul's just finished talking about what pastors ought to do. Why should they rejoice? They have someone that will tell them the truth. That's why. And Paul is telling them the truth. And he's just finished writing about how Epaphroditus and Timothy, both of who are coming, will also tell them the truth. So he says, rejoice over these things. They ought to rejoice over their pastors who will tell them the truth. Paul wrote in verse 1, again, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. As we talked about last week from chapter 2, remember the main focus of any pastor is the interest of Jesus Christ for his people. Because what Jesus wants for you, again, is what's best for you. And in terms of pastor's responsibilities, his calling is to preach the whole counsel of God's word. All of it. Not, not skipping around based on his fancies or things that he might find offensive. And the pastor is called to confront evil. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah laments, or really God through Isaiah laments, the men of Israel, the priest of Israel, he called them dogs that would not bark. In other words, they're dogs, which by the way, you know, they didn't have, you know, birthday parties for their dogs and that kind of thing like we do today. Dogs were, were, were guardians. They, they worked for a living, right? And to be a dog that wouldn't bark meant you were useless. Because dogs were supposed to alert their masters. And Isaiah, God through Isaiah lamented the priest of Israel. He said, they're dogs that won't bark. They see evil, but they won't say anything about it. Y'all, pastors are to preach the truth. And Paul is leading by example here. And before you say, well, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, everybody knows that. Of course, pastors are supposed to preach from God's word. And if you say that, I'll give you a hearty amen, and you'd be right. They should. But y'all, if there were dogs, false teachers, wolves among the sheep 2,000 years ago, coming in the guise of pastors, don't you see that nothing has changed? There are wolves among the sheep today. Please tell me I don't have to get into the absolute garbage that's being preached either, not just right now, I mean, it's 10 o'clock, we don't do the holy hour at 11 a.m. anymore, but within minutes, right, the things are going to be preached, not in California, not in New York, not even in Richmond, though they'll be there too. I'm talking about here, y'all, right here in our area. There's false teaching everywhere. It wasn't too long ago when I had a conversation with somebody who served in another church and I told them, you've got to get out of that place because this individual told me about their pastor doing chapel for, for, for a group of kids, talking to a group of kids, and she used a picture book with Jesus in it, which, which we're not big on that as it is. But nevertheless, Jesus was wearing makeup and earrings in this picture book, y'all. And again, we're not talking about something in San Francisco. We're talking about somewhere that you could very leisurely drive to that is in our area. 
right here. And, it, and this place is calling itself a church. That individual that did this is, 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 is calling herself a pastor. And that's just one of so many examples that I could point to of what's going on in the visible church out there. And it, and, and it used to be that, that when I would write a sermon, I think back to 20 years ago when I got started in the ministry, which is hard to believe. 21, actually. But nevertheless... When I got started in, it would always be that there was this, this church in, in San Francisco called Glide, right? And Glide was the go-to back then. When, when you were a pastor, you could talk about Glide Church all day long because it was like, okay, these are the people that are going to tell you about if we don't watch out what's going to be going on in the United States. Well, guess what? It's going on in the United States now. Right, I used to talk about Glide being the most appropriately named church in, or, or, or institution calling itself a church in the world because you just glide easily into hell with that theology. And now it's everywhere, y'all. That's the bad news. But again, he starts with the good news to rejoice that he's telling them the truth. And I can tell you that's not always an easy thing to do. But you see, here's the thing, and when pastors forget this, all is lost. The truth is not something that you and I possess. It's not something that originates with us. All truth is God's truth. And as his people, we are simply called to be the herald, the messenger of his truth. And all else is lies. So that's the good news. Let's get to the bad news, the truth here. Again, we've already read it, verse 2. Immediately after saying this, he says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evildoers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. The bad news here is that, again, the world is full of false teachers, those evildoers with ulterior motives. Now, Paul, again, it's a letter to the Philippians. He's alluding to a specific variety of false teaching here. But the principle remains the same, y'all. When a church is doing what God wants it to do, that's when Satan attacks. The devil does all he can to divide and conquer. And he, you want to know what he loves to use? False doctrine. False teaching. What's the very first thing he did with Adam and Eve? Didn't he convince them that God didn't really say what they thought he had said? Didn't he suggest, ah... God just said that because he knows if you do this, you'll be just like him. The first false teacher was the serpent in the garden, y'all. And Satan does everything that he can to divide and conquer the church, including false teaching. So like the sermon title says, and I can't say it enough, watch out for the devil's attacks. So while the warning here is general there is one group, again, in particular that Paul is warning the Philippians about. They have many names. Most often they're referred to as Judaizers. But they're the ones, if you listen to daily devotionals, we've been talking about them uh, in Acts as we go through that. These are the ones that the Galatians, the book to the Galatians was written all about. These men were Jews who claimed to be Christians that went to the Gentile churches and they said, Hey, great, you're Christians, that's fabulous. But if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be a Jew first. And that means all the Jewish customary laws. That means that men would have had to be circumcised. Everyone had to start following the dietary laws, the feast laws, and so forth. Think about that. All of those rules, those requirements, those regulations that were never supposed to be permanent, that always pointed forward to Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled. 
Could you imagine somebody doing that today? Do you understand what this means? No more pork tenderloin and gravy, y'all. It's over at that point. If we, and, and of course, you know, that's, that's a very, very minor thing. But really and truly, think about what this would mean. It would mean that we couldn't worship on the Lord's Day, which is when the Christian church worships. We'd have to worship on Saturday. We'd have to celebrate the feast. We'd have to have all, all of these different things. These things that Jesus fulfilled. Now you might say... Well, so what? You know, fine. That's what Paul's dealing with with Philippians. Nobody's showing up here saying I have to follow Old Testament laws to be a Christian. Well, let me tell you something. There are groups local to here that say that. There are groups that call themselves home churches. There are places that call themselves places of fellowship that worship on Saturday. And that's exactly what they teach. That you can't eat certain things, that you have to follow certain Jewish customs, that sort of thing. In order to be a Christian, you have to worship on Saturday and all that kind of stuff. So that idea is closer than you might think. But aside from that, there's a deeper principle that's revealed here. The, 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 the core subject that, that Paul is writing about is the Judaizers. But the bigger picture here is what goes on in the church today. Oh, people try to add or take away from God's word. It has always been the case. I talked about the devil doing it in the Garden of Eden. It has always been this, the, the, the case, right? Um, these people that would add to God's word say that, okay, being a Christian is all about doing this and that and the other, and you've got to do all of these things, right? There are others that would take away from God's word, saying, ah, that part of God's word doesn't really apply anymore, and instead you need to substitute this, right? And basically, either taking away from or adding to it doesn't matter. The end result with both views is that Jesus plus fill in the blank equals salvation. And y'all, this is a lie. And the interesting thing is it doesn't matter if someone adds to God's word or takes away from God's word. Right? Because which is worse? Adding to the Bible or taking away from it? Saying you don't need something for salvation? Saying you need all these other things for salvation? Which is worse? The answer is yes. Because at the end of the day, they're really the same thing. Both say the Bible is not enough. The gospel is not enough. Jesus is not enough. People try to add, right? And, and, and people try to say things like you're, you're saved by... Fill in the blank. Again, you're saved by church membership. You're saved by baptism. You're saved by attendance. You're saved by service. You're saved by, if those that take away, you're saved by this social justice cause. Or you're saved by basically caring about people. Now, Paul is going to get into this in a minute. But realize that you are saved by one thing and one thing only. Right? It's in Acts. We just read it this week. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, let me tell you, we need to be careful with this. Because I found that this is something that is misunderstood. Realize that belief is not simple recognition or admission. Faith isn't saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Or even, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. No, faith instead, real belief, real faith is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You see, real faith Belief is having a personal relationship 
with Jesus Christ. And that involves you turning to him in confession and repentance for your sin and when you sin. Being a real follower of Christ is about being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Relying on him. Growing in Jesus in faith. But again, ultimately trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation. And having him as Lord of your life. Look, y'all, the, the, the fact is this. We get this confused. There are people that think, oh, because they believe that Jesus is real. Y'all, the devil believes that Jesus is real. Atheists believe that Jesus is real because his existence can be proven by history. Look, you can know all about Jesus and still not really know him if he is not just some savior or a savior. He's got to be your savior. It comes down to this, y'all. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this isn't from you. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. And it's that works thing that often gets us. We, we live in such a merit-based society, right? This idea that if I do enough good things, and I'll be in good shape with God, and if I'm, I'm basically a good person, God deals with that in his word. We're not good people on our own. None of us are. Instead, by God's grace, we can be transformed. But, but you've got to get real about this stuff. And I hope that you are. It's not about just being a church member. It's not about giving tithes and offerings. It, all of those things are wonderful things to do, but those things should not be the substance of your faith. They should be the evidence of your faith. And to that end, once you have placed your faith in Christ, dealing with this subject specifically in Philippians 3, forget about the Jewish Gentile stuff and the, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. Why? Well, not only has Jesus fulfilled all those ceremonial, not, not moral, or we're not saying that the Ten Commandments and such don't apply to today, but the ceremonial laws like the, the dietary laws and, and all of that kind of stuff, they've been fulfilled by Christ. But also realize this, and he gives us something here, and I talked about this on a Wednesday night recently. If you have more questions about this, see me. But what Paul reveals here is that placing your faith in Christ makes you one of the children of Abraham. And I'm going to go ahead and say it, and this is not political. If you place your faith in Christ, then you're the real Israel. And this is, has nothing to do with what's going on with Israel and Hamas. But I've got to say that. Look, going to Galatians chapter 3. Here it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Heirs according to the promise. God's chosen people have always been based on faith. That's why if you go all the way back to Genesis, it says that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. God's people have always been based on faith, not ethnicity. Y'all, it's not about your blood. It's about Christ's blood. And who's his blood, uh, and, and all those who his blood has covered. Hence, verse 3, when, when Paul stands up to this group of people that says, Oh, yeah, you want to be a Christian, you got to be a Jew first. Paul says, For we are the circumcision. We're the ones. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Let me translate here. The real people of God are those who belong to Jesus Christ and have placed their faith in him alone, just like I talked about before. And doing this results in worshiping God, boasting in Christ, being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And lastly, it results in you not putting any confidence in the flesh. Now, what does that mean? Y'all, confidence in the flesh 
is trusting in anything or anyone other than Jesus to save you, including you. Having confidence in the flesh means trusting in what not you've done, but in what Christ did to save you. And at this point, Paul embarks on an example of what it looks like to put confidence in the flesh, to trust in ourselves rather than God. Listen to it again. He says, don't put confidence in the flesh. And then he starts talking about himself. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has ground for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Do you see what he's doing there? If anybody could boast about religious dedication. Now, we, y'all, I'm, I'm not saying that... that that people don't work, and I know that we have people that work really, really hard in the church, but think about everything that Paul just said there about his religious dedication. A Jew among Jews. He was so faithful in Judaism that he decided to persecute the church. He became ISIS in the first century himself. He followed the law and was blameless in it. Y'all, it comes down to, to this, right? You couldn't find a man more religious than Paul when he was Saul. Nor could you find one as lost. Why? Because we can't save ourselves, y'all. Think about it. If it were possible for you and I to just work hard enough, if it were possible for you and I to work our way to heaven with our own righteousness, what does that say about God who sent his one and only son to die? If it were possible for you and I to do it on our own, doesn't that make God into a monster? The answer is yes. The reality is we could never. We could never, ever work our way to heaven. We owe a bill far too high. We could never, ever pay it. And in fact, if you don't know Jesus, you will be paying it for an eternity in hell. And I love you enough to tell you the truth on that. We can't save ourselves. And no amount of works on our part will substitute for submitting to Christ. No, no amount of works can replace what Jesus will do in your life. That's why our passage ends in verse 7 and following. Paul said, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. What, what he's saying there is all that stuff that I thought I was good to go with, all the stuff I thought was going to get me to heaven, it's all a loss. More than that, verse 8, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, this is the language of a man that knows Jesus and realizes all the other stuff, none of it compares to him. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. All of those things. And y'all, if you want to know if you're really a Christian, examine your life and examine your heart. If you can look back on all of those things that you thought that would get you into heaven, and you can see those things as dung, as refuse, as worthless. So that I may attain Christ. That's how you know.
And not only that, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. And then his goal should be ours. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. What Paul is saying there, consider what he just read. If anybody could boast about anything, it was him. But y'all, at the end, he tells us like it is. When it comes to salvation, and it was Edwards that said it. I quote it all the time. I thought it was Spurgeon. It's Edwards. You contribute nothing to your salvation but the sin that made it necessary. And when you think about all the things that Paul said, recognizing this reality, Paul concluded that nothing compares to knowing Christ. Nothing. We've had the good news and then we focused on the bad news, but the final great news is you can know him too. But it all starts with laying down your arms, laying down your works, laying down all those things that you think should get you into heaven and being honest with yourself about whether you've ever really asked Jesus to be Lord of your life and whether he is Lord of your life. If you've never confessed your sins and said to God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm in need of forgiveness. If if you've never asked Jesus to save you, do not wait. Today is the day. Life is short. Nobody knows what today holds, much less tomorrow. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But if you've done that, watch out. Look out for the false teachers. It'll tell you salvation isn't really about that. It'll tell you it's about what you do or what you shouldn't do or fill in the blank. It's all lies. If anybody wants to talk about this, I'll I'll be around afterwards. We've got the congregational meeting, but find me and we will talk. This is the most important thing ever. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we praise you that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ alone. For if it were up to us, If it were a matter of trying, we never could. We never would. Hence your love for us. Let us not smack away the hand that offers peace and salvation. Instead, let us reach for you, your everlasting arms. For those hands scarred by nails, pierced for us. Father, for those of us that do know you, oh, let us watch out. The lies abound, the evil one attacks, but let us remember you instead and be faithful. And I pray it in Christ's name, amen. As we close this time together, please stand with me as we sing these words, pay attention to them because it ponders the question. In this time of attack, who is on the Lord's side? Number 355 in our hymnal. Let's stand as we sing.
again, our congregational meeting will conclude in just a few moments. Guests, you're welcome to stay, but members, please do stay. Receive now the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the love and the fellowship and the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.